Well, hello and welcome to another exciting, or at least I hope it'll be exciting, episode of Pod of the Gaps, uh, the podcast that seeks to plug the gaps between uh, culture and the issues therein and the church. I am Andy Bannister and I'm joined as ever by my uh, podcasting uh, co-host, uh, Aaron Edwards. And uh, Aaron, it's been a while. It's been three weeks since the last episode. What's What's been happening, dude? The beard has grown longer. Uh, viewers, our listeners can't see that, but the beard has grown. But what else has happened in, in Aaron land? Since in Aaron land, yeah, Aaron, Aaron land, land. Uh, the theme park that is Aaron land. Uh, we've just installed a new roller coaster um, like in that. the sense that uh, we've had, we, yeah, we actually had our, um, our tenancy uh, up for renewal. We, we oh, rent no. a place and... Uh, on the as the, as I expected the email to come in as it normally does this time of year they're like oh yeah the landlords are happy to renew but we're going to give you a thirty five percent rent increase it's <laughs> like oh oh yeah we've just had that money just lying around everyone does doesn't everyone have that kind of money just lying around and so it's like at first I didn't think you were allowed to do that but actually then I looked in they are allowed to do that because it was coming to the end of the tenancy so they can do what they want but the weirdest thing about it was um, that they uh, this happened on the day the queen died so it's kind of a double blow. Um, on the very the kind of the, when she was kind of ill and then you know had finally passed away, then I get then I get this email and I found, and obviously not obviously to anyone else I guess, but our our landlord has actually had given it over to it's, it's held in trust, so our, our property is, and the people who manage the trust are Coots and Co. The oh, bank. the Queen, the Queen's, the bank, Queen's is, bank. So it's like the Queen died, and they're like, right, let's just be. Now really, we can just let rip on like, the uh, on yeah. the on the. She's, the, she's, uh, no, she's no longer our. So clearly, the Queen must have been our kind of, you know, silent. Maybe you should write to the new king. Tour. Maybe you should write uh... a <laughs> petition the king. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Charlie. You've got to be careful how you say new king in today's world in case Putin's listening. I said new king. Not oh, new yes. King. That's, that's right. Yes. Indeed. Right. Yeah, that, this, indeed. This, this, this dates this, uh, this episode. Yeah, well, so um, a, bit, a bit of a challenge, yeah, challenging time because oh, we yeah, may yeah. Need, uh, need to move, but, you know. Well, yeah, well, our life's been far more exciting because I've just come back from a speaking tour of Jersey in the. Uh, mm. <laughs> the hilarious thing is, be careful because we have American listeners. I realise the story I'm about to tell is only some Americans. This is always a joke in Europe that Americans can be a bit geographically challenged about Europe. To be fair, Europeans can be geographically challenged about America. So I put a thing on Facebook the other day when I was we were sailing back on the ferry from from Jersey to uh, to Poole in Dorset after the, the ministry trip, and I just took a picture of the sunset and said, you know, sailing back after an exciting week of of ministry on, on, on Jersey and some of my friends on Facebook who's American went, hang on, how you're, you're sailing back from Jersey to, 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 to the UK. Um, I was like, yeah, Jersey and the Channel Islands. Not oh, New Jersey. Yeah. Not New. Not, there are many new places. Aren't new there, Jersey yeah. is named for Jersey. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. Channel Islands. Like, so it's obvious really, but we, we, yeah, we, we got that story. Many, many, there, many. Then, yeah. Hmm. And then the other big many. news, I, um, I turned, uh, I had a big birthday. I yeah, but, well, I, I, I mean, we will get to your birthday. I, I'm, Jersey is a cool place, though. Like for those who don't know, Jersey is the one place. It's the one place that the Nazis actually uh, took over in the Second World War. We, well, in terms like, of you mean one, one part of the British Isles. That yeah, they, British Isles. Sorry, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so British soil, as it were, that they they kind of conquered. Yes. But then they realised it was strategically not as <laughs> great as they thought. So it was kind of pointless holding it, and it cost loads of money and resources. But Hitler was kind of adamant that he had needed to hold on to this kind of British soil. Well, it's a strange story, note. wasn't it? Because, yeah, we got that bit of history that obviously the, the Brits had tried to, we demilitarized, we de- demilitarized right. hoping the Nazis then would not in, invade. We mm-hmm. sort of did a sort of hands-off approach going, look, mm-hmm. we're not going to do anything with it, leave it alone. And I think the Germans were so terrified we were not really telling the truth and we're going to militarize it. As you say, they invaded. Yeah. And at the end, it was some 
they had like there was one German soldier, very four islanders. Yeah, in the end, so <laughs> like sort of tens of thousands of Germans stationed there. And you see the pictures. You went, the German soldiers who got that gig must have thought yeah. they they'd got the dream ticket because they yeah. beaches. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, a pliant population because the population had no way yeah. of, re- of reacting yeah. um, and stuff. Yeah. And fascinating. But then also, on the one hand, a fairly peaceable occupation, but then also the tragedy too, because the one of the big World War II sites of the war tunnels, which was this underground mm. hospital, mm. largely dug by slave labor, not 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 largely islanders. They were bringing in other sort of prisoners of war and mm. and sort of folks to, to do that. So there was a, there was yeah, a very straight, interesting. Mm tragic kind of story um, and it wasn't close enough to britain to actually be of that much strategic use was it that was the thing no so and uh, it, yeah my kid i mean my kid my kids were saying to me because they came with us because the joy of homeschooling is you can take them on little history tours like this they were like well daddy why didn't why didn't the brits why didn't churchill defend this and i was like well it's too far away it's right down by france hmm. so you've got the french coast like you know easy striking distance away and it's you know four hour cruise down from the UK there was no way, and if and actually, yeah. of course, if you know the history, then when war broke out and it was obviously there's going to be a problem, the 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 the, um, the the British government offered to any Jersey you know resident who wanted to, they could come to the mainland UK, yeah. and many did, many did leave and were and and and, uh, and evacuated to the UK yeah. to the mainland UK, and many many remained, and then that yeah. caused a tension after the war of those who you know coming back of going that sort yeah, of sense yeah. well, you lot just ran away, we we stayed. That's so, right. Amazing story. It's, it's fascinating. fascinating place. Yeah, we've got we've got a lot of family history there. Fascinating, fascinating culture. Yeah, so it's a lovely lovely place to go. So yeah, so visit Jersey, everyone. This but this episode is sponsored it's also, by it's sponsored Jersey by, Tourism uh, by Jersey. And uh, if you want to know what Jersey is like, you can go and watch the classic nineteen eighties BBC also, yeah. show Bergerac as well. So. Oh yes, Bergerac. You can also get a boat from New Jersey to Jersey if you want. It just might take you about it six. It might weeks. take you a, a while. I'd recommend yeah. it for Amer- yeah. for Americans. You need to fly for Brits. You can get the ferry from Southampton or Pool. Other 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 ways of travel are available. And as I say, oh, yeah. as you interrupt me, I turn oh, yeah, I turn fifty. Oh sorry, yeah, yeah. I, I was no, just no, helping no. you out there, just saying, yeah, just Thank diverting you. attention from. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I couldn't face a big birthday thing. celebration, which my family were threatening to throw. So I booked a week of ministry on Jersey. There we go. Might say you wear you wear fifty well. If, if you know, if that's very kind of you. Thank yeah. you. The checks and the the checks in the uh, in the in the post. And uh, it, it's funny. I was <laughs> I was doing a I was doing a radio debate yesterday with an atheist um for uh for the premier unbelievable kind of show oh, yeah. lovely guy actually not an angry atheist very very great conversation but he's a journalist and i was reading through some of the articles he'd written in preparation for this debate he'd done a piece for some newspaper on his 40th birthday back in february huh. about how realizing now you know youth was over and it was downhill <laughs> all the way i was like dude you're 40 stop complaining yeah. <laughs> yes, um yeah. kind of thing after all you know once you're 50 you're you're over the hill unless to do a really terrible segue to what i can i can see it coming i can kind of guess what's coming we're going to go some under things, the hill some things even though they're 50 60 or 70 you know are still as as popular and still as relevant today as ever they were such as certain books for example i can't believe you missed the segue you said over the hill i thought you were going to say under the hill under the hill pony so today what we want to talk about we're going to talk about tolkien J.R.R. Tolkien and Lord <laughs> yeah. of the Rings. And, we love Jersey, uh, like, didn't he? I presume, maybe. He, 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 he probably, he, I'm sure, I'm sure, he wore jerseys. Um, yeah, well, there we go. Yeah. That, we should have compared notes on the on the, on the the segue there. But uh, <laughs> but yes, I was trying to do the longevity of oh, yes, author, fine. And I think you were going for the... Um, More Bannister-like the, pun. Really. Well, or two things, pun. aren't they, with Underhill? Firstly, of course, the Hobbits, many of the Hobbits lived under hills in Burroughs. Exactly. 
Yeah. Um, the Hobbit begins, doesn't it? In a hole in the ground, they live the Hobbit. Yeah. But also, if you are real Lord of the Rings aficionado, you will know that when Tolkien, uh, when um, Frodo uh, and uh, his little company leave Hobbiton, uh, when they're first making out for Rivendell with a the ring, they go incognito. They travel under an alias, mm. and he is Mr. Underhill. Exactly. Um, yeah. So there we go. So Tolkien is what we're, we're talking about. Why are we talking about Tolkien, though? Why... Why? Uh, why right now? What is there? What could possibly be going on in culture that might make Tolkien well, a thing, Aaron? I mean, if if they're listening to this in three times, in three years time, and then I don't know, but um, <laughs> who knows yet? But right now, um, yeah, of course, we have the Amazon uh, Prime series, uh, the War of the Rings, no, or the Rings of Power, Rings of Power. Sorry, no, what, what am I wrong, thinking? Eh? Or the Rings of Purr for our Northern Irish listeners. The I Rings of Purr. I'm thinking of like, yeah, I think Tolkien's original. Um, uh, title for the third book was supposed to be War of the Ring, and he had it was supposed to be War of the Ring, and um, his publisher was. And you know, you know, of course, do you know why he didn't like Return of the King? Bit of trivia for you. No. Oh no! We well, should I do answer the postcard? We could go. We reveal the answer next time. There could be a prize. Uh, he didn't like Return of the King. Oh, gave the story away. He gave the story away yeah, because yeah, yeah. at the end of Return of the King, I think we can do the spoiler. Most people yeah. listening to this, where have you been? You know, uh, Aragorn, the Ranger. You know initially Strider, but Ronnie Maragorn, uh, is the, you know, is the true king of, 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 of world of men. And, yes, that's uh, right. And is sort of un, un, unveiled, unmasked at the end that he is the, he is the true king and uh, the story ends with the, mm. with the coronation. Absolutely. Um, but, but like, but for those who, I mean, the funny thing is obviously some people might not actually care about uh, Tolkien and Lord of the Rings, that kind of thing. Um, but you should. So, like, you just, you know, there's no excuse, really. It's it's so important and so good. But this episode, in a way, we're trying to sort of say, yeah, why does Tolkien matter? Why why does it cause a stir? And, and the kind of Amazon Prime thing is with the Rings of Power, which I haven't actually seen. I don't think you've seen it either, <laughs> which, is, which makes us, you know, not um, particular experts on <laughs> talking about that particular show. However, uh, the point is that the, the furor around that series is interesting in itself. So those of you who might not be interested in Tolkien might be like, why the heck do people care yeah. this much? Why are there so many people who worried about getting Tolkien wrong? Uh, well, why do I, let, let's, talk, let's talk about this for a moment though, Aaron. I think that's a good question. Why does Tolkien matter before we talk about, well, we're not going to talk about, I, th- I think so we're not going to talk about Rings of Power in depth because we haven't watched it. We'll make a few yeah. comments on it. But why Tolkien matters, I think is interesting is whether you've, whether you like Tolkien or you don't, whether you've read Tolkien or you haven't. If you haven't, you should. In the same way that I don't, you know, there's lots of classic, you know, sort of books from 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 down the ages that I don't like, but I've I've read many of them because the great literature, it's good to read the great works, just so you've read the great works. Tolkien, I think, is a great work for a couple of things. Firstly, he has been the he has regularly been, you know, the best selling author ever since uh, you know Lord of the Rings went 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 viral. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lovely book on Tolkien. By Tom Shippey, who is um, an Oxford-based, well, he retired now, but was an Oxford-based professor of uh, classics, um, talking expert. His uh, to- uh, Shippey's book, Author of the Century, opens with this lovely story of going that you know, ever since almost ever since it came out, uh, the uh, as he puts it, the literati, the people who decide what the really popular books mm. are, you know, important books are, always hated Tolkien because he mm. was he was a populist in some ways, um, and but every poll that was ever done. You know, really, since since the mm. Lord of the Rings came out, Tolkien has always come in the in the top one or two of of, of mm. readers' choices for for book of the century. Um, so, firstly, you know, hugely popular. Um, secondly, and almost single handedly invented the the modern fantasy 
yeah. genre. There were people dabbling in that beforehand. We had fairy tales and myths and things, but the modern, you know, what we now recognize as fantasy literature, Tolkien really invented that, and everyone else is is really either writing footnotes to Tolkien or is deliberately riffing yeah. off him. So one of my favorite authors, Terry Pratchett, you know, does comedy science fiction fantasy stuff. Terry was, yeah. a, was a massive Tolkien fan and said, you know, I couldn't do, you couldn't write this world unless there had been Tolkien who set up this structure you can play with. Um, thirdly, I would say, I think, um, you know, in terms of longevity, other things come and go. I mean, Harry Potter maybe gets close, but we need another 50 years to see whether it lasts the course. But Tolkien has lasted the course. Um, and I think the last reason I'd say is important for Christians, I guess, is we've forgotten the power of the imagination. You know, people like Tolkien, Lewis and others got that. They got that you needed to reach people through the imagination. And Lord of the Rings is a profoundly Christian book, a profoundly Christian book. Mm. Um, and I think the way that Tolkien weaves Christian themes in into that in a way that gets you thinking about them, even without you realizing you're doing it, is incredible. And I think there's a lesson there today uh, for how we engage culture. Certainly a lesson for anyone who wants to be a Christian artist or, or creative in how to do it. But for all of us, really, is, you know, sometimes we think we can change the world of proposition. Um, Jesus used story. And I think we miss the fact that the power of the power of story mm. is is immense. Tolkien mm. got it, mm. as did um, Lewis and the rest of the Inklings. Mm. So that on those reasons alone, hugely important before we dive into anything else. That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, well, in many ways, though, that's a, that's the kind of stuff of what we want to talk about, isn't it? The the, the reason why uh, these things matter. And as you say, as I was saying earlier, there's going to be people who uh, wonder why there's a big fuss about it. But one of the things around this Amazon Prime show is obviously, yeah, people get looking at some of those things taking taking um the popularity especially since the peter jackson films um you know a couple of decades ago now um and then riding off of that and doing something completely new and adding things that are kind of be you know post tolkien into the narrative and into the characters and and, and losing some of that um yeah especially the christian dynamic in it now i say there's no point us doing some kind of a review because we haven't watched them but we've obviously seen trailers of those and 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 what seen various kind of um mutterings around it there was obviously fear about it leading up to it and, and it's interesting how much that world partly because the world that tolkien created or sub-created in his terms um was so rich and so dense and so thought through um that when you kind of start messing with it 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 can easily kind of go wrong and kind of pull pulling threads out of it or trying to add things on which are totally um, not within his worldview because obviously Tolkien gets critiqued a lot doesn't he um, for for many of the, the kind of depictions especially things like good and evil you know people don't often like the um the fact that he had clear categories of good and evil quite often and, and the baddies are real baddies and the goodies are real goodies even though there's complexity it's not like you clearly see you see goodies tempted by the ring for example in Lord of the Rings but but the, 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 there is a clear sense of like an enemy, isn't there? And I think all of our c- contemporary um, sort of Netflix series and things, often people love running for the grey. They love the grey hero, anti-hero, uh, the person who's so complex and so hard to work out. You couldn't even understand whether they're uh, they're good or bad. And we love that. And even even Christians can jump on that to go, oh, isn't that wonderful because that's so complex because we're all sinners. And, so, mm. and there, there is some truth to that. But I think at the same time, the, the loss of the heroic is such a, a, yes. a tragic thing in our, in our time. And Tolkien just got it. He got the necessity of heroes and why that mattered. Yeah. Didn't he? I think it's actually more than that, Aaron. I think what's interesting is um, 
there's been a trend in 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 culture, hasn't there? Particularly stuff coming out of out of Hollywood, but 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 elsewhere too, where it's not really you have the grey that you take what was once a clearly you know negative character you, t- you really want to take the villain and then you mm. try and give a backstory to sympathize them so we, yeah. you know they we, we you know we uh we, they, that's been done with sleeping beauty you had maleficent you know that tried to tell mm. the backstory of the mm. of the evil godmother you had um you know it's been done with for batman movies with with, with the joker you know mm. trying to sort of you know yeah. give sympathy yeah. there he had all yeah. these kind of issues in his past this is why he becomes uh who he is i find it fascinating no one's dared do this yet for you know, real history. We haven't had the, here's the backstory of, of, you know, here's little Adolf Hitler as a child. And to go, the reason he turned this monster was actually someone stole his Lego bricks when he was, you know, seven <laughs> or, um, you know, Harvey Weinstein or, you know, whoever yeah. it is. We have, it, it, it stays in a lot of, of fiction. So I, I think we are, I think we are deeply uncomfortable. Um, Do you, are you, can I just jump in there? Are you saying that you, because I think historical figures we, do do that, don't we? I mean, we have biographies. Only certain and, ones. Like, and Hitler does, people do talk about his, like, you know, his, like, troubled upbringing. Like, I've certainly seen documentaries on that before in terms of where his craziness came. Because in a way, we're kind of more fascinated yes. by... It, it tends someone. to stop, doesn't it? It doesn't go, you don't get the sort of... I don't think, I've never, I haven't seen it done sympathetically in quite the same... Oh, I see. Right, okay. ...way. If anything, we go the other way around. Oh, right? so what you're saying time. is, oh, we're trying to explain it to say... He's a victim. Is that what you mean? He's like, a victim. We try and turn him into a victim. Yeah, Unless, yeah, yeah. of course, it goes the yeah. other way and you've got somebody who was once a hero. So, like, here's Churchill. Yes. Like, did, did destroy his reputation. And yeah, go, yeah. No, he wasn't really the, you know, mm-hmm. the savior of, of Europe. Yeah. He was really this terrible monster because he yeah. made some, some of the things he did in India. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. But the interesting thing with Tolkien and, oh, no, as I got to say, is before that is to say it was interesting that the conversation I had, I mentioned earlier with this atheist I did in this radio debate yesterday. One of the things we talked a little bit about there was relativism. And mm-hmm. what was interesting, he, he and I were sort of on the same side, actually, that he wanted to draw a real difference between, you know, sort of plurality of opinion, which, I mean, yeah. he, he describes himself as a classic liberal, he's a fan of, he said, but, you know, how you then stop that sliding into relativism mm-hmm. um, is, is a huge question. I was quite interested to even admit that. Mm-hmm. Um, Tolkien, mm-hmm. on the other hand, you're absolutely right, he gets nailed at times for this portrayal of evil as simplistic. I actually think it's an incredibly... Incredibly more complex. I remember some years ago, actually, talking to a friend of mine who's teenage, that Harry Potter had just come out. Yeah. And uh, it was one of, one of my old uh, New Testament profs when I was doing undergrad theology. And we were t- there was a conversation in the start in the uh, this seminar about, about, you know, Potter and evil and Lord of the Rings and so forth. And, um, and Rob, Robert said something interesting. He said his teenage daughter, who was 14, had just had read Lord of the Rings and read Harry Potter. And he he'd, he'd had a conversation with her as to which what she thought of the two, and she said she said she actually preferred Harry Potter, which you know my, my initial reaction was oh really, and then she added because she said I, she said she found Lord of the Rings really scary, and he said well why was that, and she said well the depiction of evil because Harry mm. Potter is a children's story, very yeah. very simple you know here's yeah. evil here's good you know Harry good Voldemort bad, um, she said in in Lord of the Rings. The ring corrupts. You know, the mm. ring is so it is so dangerous that even Gandalf yeah. Yeah. cannot take it. You know, when Frodo mm. tries to give Gandalf the ring, so will you take it? Gandalf's like, "Do not tempt me. Mm. Do not tempt me. I would be tempted to use that ring for good." Mm. Uh, Galadriel is the other one, as yeah. as well, who is tempted. Yeah. It's that moment, and I think actually the the Peter Jackson Fellowship of the Ring movie portrayed that moment it was beautiful. Well, scary, but but stunningly yeah. done. 
Yeah. When she's when she's contemplating going in the place of the Dark Lord, you would have a queen, beautiful and terrible as the yeah, dawn. Yeah. Um, and this idea that the ring and anyway, my friend, my my friend Robert's daughter, she so find that terrifying. The fact that evil could corrupt mm. even the good. Mm. So I think Tolkien has this very sophisticated presentation. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Evolution. Yeah. And it's interesting. His, um, you know, you mentioned earlier as well the, um, the kind of role of the imagination. Of course, you know, without going into, we've obviously mentioned C.S. Lewis many times, but the, the, obviously the two of them inspiring as as fellow inklings um, in Oxford. And um, it's interesting how you might think when you look at like depictions within Lord of the Rings of things like um, I don't know, like. Uh, Rivendell with the elves or even the Shire as the kind of idyllic place, especially which is really nicely captured on the, on the Peter Jackson movies, obviously, but even more so in, in the prose itself. Um, you just, there's just a lovely sense of kind of an idyllic paradise. And you would sort of, you might think that is that Tolkien being removed from the real world? Cause that's the kind of way that people often say, that, Oh yeah. So you've got these clear good evil categories. You don't understand the complexity of us in our, in our depths of our modern condition um, and therefore, you've you've also kind of got this kind of stuck in this world where you're imagining things that are, you know rather than the reality. But actually, he he's able. The reason why Lord of the Rings, why Tom Shippey calls him like the author of the century, is because he's able to depict connections between real people um, in in so many ways. So even and his his own upbringing wasn't particularly idyllic. Obviously, he was orphaned, um, and he moved. I think I heard he moved. Did he move ten times as a child? And he was uh, held under guardianship. So. And he was living in, in predominantly urban settings in the Midlands and, and obviously looking out westwards to kind of the Shropshire kind of way, um, the Shropshire. Um, and and that kind of sense of, uh, yeah, seeing what was there and having some experience of, of, of those places, but actually in many ways seeing the industrialization that's there uh, in, in urban settings. It's not that he's just like living in this kind of beautiful hamlet, his whole childhood with this wonderful upbringing. He actually hasn't had that. He went to a lot of pain and difficulty mm. himself. And I think that comes through the kind of sense of a real hard grafted experience of hu- human life and, and, and observing other people as well as you know experiencing and feeling it himself. And um, you see all of that. You wouldn't necessarily know that's the case. You might just think someone sat down in a room and just, Oh, let me just write a very elaborate fairy story. Um, but actually it's ground in real, real um, human experience. Yeah. Isn't it? Well, there's a couple of things here, aren't there? Firstly, there's the whole question about, I think, I think fairy stories sometimes too readily dismissed as a stories for children fairy mm. stories were always there to to teach and to give a kind of moral sort of mm. structure um mm. gk chesterton you know has a little uh, nice little piece on this in, in orthodox in his book orthodoxy oh, yeah. talking about about fairy tales and the logic and the yeah yeah uh, and, and, and so on of fairy tales i think we dismiss them at our, at, yeah. at, our, at, our, at our peril and you look at those you know you look at people like um you know the, the, some of the, some of the sort of classic work like done done by um you know Grimm I think of Grimm's fairy tales you know he mm. was a he didn't just collect these stories for children he was a, an anthropologist mm. and thought they were absolutely fascinating in mm. terms of what they mm. revealed and about cultures and the way that culture passes mm. values on but um, yeah. yeah Tolkien again is interesting because the Shire is fascinating because mm. I think there's we we miss the fact don't we or as often we often forget the fact that both I mean Tolkien and Lewis and that whole generation who fought in the trenches. Of World War One, um, yeah. I think one of the themes that runs through through Lord of the Rings is that when you go and fight, like both those men did, but let's just focus on Tolkien. Hmm. From comes the idea that you, there's something you need to be defending, there's something you need to be standing for. The idea of the homeland, hmm. 
Um, same in World War II, actually, of going, mm. you know, what gave a lot of the impetus to the fight against Nazism was, well, you're fighting for your, your land, your country, and mm. your family. You've got something to protect. Mm. And as that mm. goes on in, in Lord of the Rings, the idea that the Shire, uh, and to a lesser extent, actually, you know, sort of Gondor mm. and, uh, and Minas Tirith and so forth, you've got this culture and this land that you love that you want to protect. Mm. Mm. But, of course, the bit that the movies missed um, the Jackson, you know, trilogy, and I understand why. I mean, because Return yeah. of the King was long enough as it flipping well yeah, yeah, without bolting yeah. <laughs> on more. You know, when I first read Lord of the Rings as a kid, I didn't quite understand the scouring of the Shire. So yeah. you've yeah. only seen the films; you need to read the books because yeah. you know Frodo and Merry and Pippin, Sam return uh, from you know destroying the Ring and all that great sp- pomp and ceremony and splendor, yeah. and all the way they're praised and lauded there. You know, yeah. in, Mir- in Gondor for what they've done. Yeah. And they returned home to the Shire, which they which they left. And of course, yeah. Saruman has snuck back there with worm tongue and has basically corrupted the Shire yeah. and 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 for what you know almost destroyed the thing. And the idea that Tolkien introduces there that that evil can come right back home. Evil is not just over there. You know, in yeah. World War One, evil wasn't just back over there in the in the trenches. You know, yeah. evil and some of the ideologies that lay behind World War One they were taken root back. Yeah. Back mm. home, and you need to you almost know, look out from for behind, or look out for the, the the treachery in the camp, not just the, you know, out here. Mm. And so, incredibly mm. uh, sophisticated mm. presentation of evil. One last thought on that, by the way. Tom Shippey was the first one I saw point this out. Shippey says, look, through, if you go through Christian tradition, um, Christian mm. theology throughout you know the Middle Ages and so forth, and Tolkien was you know knew that period incredibly well. There are mm. really two two understandings of evil that play through Christian history and they intertwine. Really, they're both, they're both there in the Bible mm-hmm. actually is the idea of to what extent does evil come from outside? Yeah. You know, so think of the Lord's prayer, you know, deliver yeah. us from, from evil, mm-hmm. but also to what extent does evil come from within? Forgive us our sins and our trespasses. You know, they're mm-hmm. right. That's right there in the Lord's prayer. Yeah. And the Bible would talk about both those aspects of evil. Mm-hmm. And Shippy says, it's very clever. Tolkien has woven both those themes into Lord of the Rings. Because there's a perennial mm. question, really. You know, does mm. the is the ring itself the thing that is utterly evil? Mm. Or is it actually to what extent is it tapping to something already mm. within you? And he mm. talks about he quotes in, in Author of the Century, he quotes this uh letter that Tolkien wrote to a friend, uh, where Tolkien says that scene, if you remember the scene at the end of Return of the King, where they're in the crack of doom and there's that tussle between Frodo and Gollum over the ring. Um, Tolkien wrote in a letter to a friend that he actually was he had envisaged that scene as being a meditation on the Lord's prayer. You know, mm. is 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 the evil within? Is it finally going to overcome Frodo and he'll just hold on to the ring and just exit and not destroy it mm. like a Sildor before him failed to do? Mm. Or is evil external in the face mm. of in the face of Gollum? Mm. And so Tolkien actually says that scene was a was a was a was a was a meditation in fiction mm. on the Lord's prayer. And that's just another example of the Lord, mm. of Lord of the Rings being this thoroughly Christian mm. work. Yeah, um, thoroughly, so, Christian. thoroughly rich. And w- without being, yeah, uh, allegorical, of course, which we all know Tolkien despised sort of allegory because he didn't want it to be like, all right, when you work out the formula, then you know what all the bits mean when actually there's lots of rich layers. And, you know, I've had students who've written essays on um, Christology um, as in, you know, Christological themes within Lord of the Rings. And then oh, it's hard to know everywhere. precisely who the, who there isn't one. It's not like there's, oh, Frodo is Christ or Gandalf is Christ because there's a kind of resurrection or, you know, or Aragon is because it's the, the kind of returning king. There's, there's Christological themes throughout, but they're quite layered and quite uh, 
richly embedded and in ways that aren't just like oh when i've worked out the dot to dot it's kind yeah. of done or or yeah whatever people used to think that you know yeah the ring was nuclear power to, to go back to your putin um <laughs> well, lovely, I'm just, i was digging up while you spoke there so again from a letter to from mm. a letter Tolkien wrote to a friend. There's a great book by Humphrey Carpenter, who was one of the biographers mm. of Tolkien, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. where he's edited all of Tolkien's letters. And there's that classic, uh, well, it's, it's become classic, but uh, Tolkien said in a letter to one of his mates, he wrote, he said, the Lord of the Rings is, of course, a fundamentally religious and Catholic work. Mm. Unconsciously yeah. so at first, but consciously in the revision. And I think that that is fascinating, because if we take Tolkien at his word... In other words, he writes this story that he is so yeah. saturated in his Christian faith, it becomes unconsciously Christian Absolutely. themes. And yeah. he goes back in the editing and makes it Absolutely. even more so. But as you say, multi-layered, it's not as simplistic. Absolutely. This equals this. Exactly. Um, and there's a, so there's a couple of things I want I wanted to quickly jump us back to this fairy story in a second. But firstly, because we're on the evil thing, is it a quote from a book um, which I'd recommend, which is good by Joseph Leconte called A Hobbit, A Wardrobe and A Great War? How J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis rediscovered faith, friendship, and heroism in the cataclysm of 1914 to 1918. Mm. So, in the shadow of the kind of of the Great War, and I don't many, you know, if you know your 20th century history, the 1920s were pretty like <clears throat> horrendous time in the uh, culturally speaking. There was a lot of moral decadence and people kind of throwing off, throwing caution to the wind, and and throwing off previous ideas and certainties and morals. It was almost like proto postmodernism in a way there's lots of experience ex, sexual experimentation there's a lot of kind of artistic experimentation and a lot of kind of giving up ideals so it's very cool to kind of be more anarchic in, in in the kind of approach to life and morality and that was over you know that's a hundred years ago it's way before 2020 ever came along um and so there's this really interesting thing that this book brings out by leconte where he's saying actually where where many artists and writers at the time just absolutely indulged in the kind of tearing down of ideals, Tolkien and Lewis went exactly the other way. And, and because of their own experience in the Great War, of course, you know, Tolkien lost most of his friends, died in, the, in their trenches. And many would say he sort of based a lot of the hobbits on some of those kind of good old English Tommies, as they often say, um, in, in the trenches, the kind of honesty and bravery and, and courage at work. So they, they almost um, lionize um, a romantic view of even war. Someone could treat them and say there's a kind of romantic view of war. Why have they done that? Why haven't they gone the kind of Wilfred Owen way um, and others who followed after of kind of just, just denigrating everything? And there's this interesting uh, quote, in an era that exalted cynicism and irony, Tolkien and Lewis sought to reclaim an older tradition of the epic hero. Their depictions of the struggles of Middle-earth and Narnia do not represent a flight from reality, but rather a return to a more realistic view of the world as we actually find it. Because we'd often end up saying, well, it, this is all very well having, writing these stories. You mentioned earlier the power of story. Uh, but this, it, when does it get to the to the real muck in the mire? When does it get to the kind of reality? We, we're going through a similar thing in our culture today. We love to drag down. We love to deconstruct. Um, and then I kind of, you know, mock the mm. idea of the heroic, mock the idea of an ideal or virtue, whereas actually this whole thing, uh, the, the, the reality, the experience of, of the world as we know it, even with sin, even with evil, and even with great suffering and difficulty, is still the yearning for virtue and, and, and the ideal as well. Uh, mm. And so we, we need that. So there's part, clearly the reason Tolkien and Lewis and others like them, but though they're kind of out on their own in many ways in, in that era, mm. um, the reason why they're so popular is because they, they give people almost this kind of standard to kind of, um, you know, aspire to. And in the sense of the kind of, you know, it, and that's not, um, you know, 
uh, it's not a coincidence that they have these Christian visions for it. You know, yeah. we're made in the the image of our maker. So just one quick, another quote from one of his letters you mentioned, um, going back to the kind of fairy tale um, stuff. He, Tolkien says in his famous essay on fairy stories, he says, fantasy remains a human right. We make in we make in our measure and in our derivative mode because we are made, and not only made, but made in the image and likeness of a maker. You could probably even take that further and say, not just a maker, but the maker, maker. who is revealed to us most explicitly yeah. in, in, in Christ and others. So anyway, yeah. No, that's fascinating. And I think as you were talking there, it reminded me without, you know, this is not a rabbit trail to go down, just a, a little hobbit trail, trail, a hobbit hole, hobbits, a hobbit path, a well-walked hobbit path. Um, that I think the whole, the whole, the whole role that World War One played in this, I think is, is, mm. is, is, mm. is fascinating. And I've, I've long thought for a while, actually, I wonder whether, I mean, I would never wish our generation to, to live through anything like that. But it's interesting that out of the cradle of World War One and to a lesser extent World War Two, some of the thinking, the Christian thinking that came out, because people really wrestled with those mm. with those questions and then tried to find something to 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 live for. Obviously, some descended into night, you know, some 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 mm. culture descended into sort of despair. Yeah. You've also got, you know, one of my hobbies for a long time has been that researching the history of the the British Everest expeditions in 1921, 22, and 24, they were all men who had been through, lived through the trenches and they tried to find, we've got to find something worth living for. The, the, you know, the, the, it wasn't worth giving our lives for the Great War, mm. but it might be worth giving our lives for, for mm. exploration. There's an amazing mm. book by uh, a historian called Wade Davis called Into the Silence, The Great War, Mallory and the Conquest of, Ever- of Everest that really brings that out. Mm. But then, of course, you've got those like, yeah, Tolkien, I think, who tried to sort of... Uh, you know, sort of, I was, what's the word? Rekindle the imagination, rekindle yeah. hope through the sense that actually, you know, we know from all the great stories that actually, yes, you, there's a descent into dark, into darkness, dark times come. We see that in the gospel stories, mm. the disciples on Good Friday thinking it was mm. all over. But we mm. also know that the true story of reality yeah. is there is hope. And I, mm. and I just dug it up. There's a lovely, it's, it's not quite, it's, 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 it's not quite as, as tight in, in to- the written Tolkien, actually, but the in the uh, Two Towers, the film version, yeah. the Peter Jackson film version, there's a lovely little speech that uh, is put into the mouth of Sam Gamgee. It comes from Sam in the book, but it's longer. Yeah. Than yeah. it. And it's where Sam says, he says, it's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, oh, yeah. you know, the ones yeah. that really mattered, full mm. of darkness, mm. danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how mm. could the end be happy? How could the way the world go back to the way it was when so much bad happened. But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. The mm. new day will come, and when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That mm. meant something, yeah. even if you were too small to understand. Yeah, yeah. I was, yeah. I it's thinking, wonderful. That, 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 that's a really good link, actually, to, to, to the um, um, thing I was going to mention about, yeah, about legends, actually, in terms of and mythology, because this is this is part. You know, Tolkien is one of the things that people talk is known for is is wanting to create a mythology for England oh, yes. in particular. Now, funnily enough, a good friend of mine, Nathan Paler, who's a kind of massive Tolkien um, uh, fan, was having a big debate with a Tolkien scholar called Luke Shelton on on Twitter. So it wasn't like an oh, academic. No. Always forum. the best place to debate. Yes, <laughs> the best place to have academic debate. But you, if you if you don't weren't into Tolkien, you'd be watching this debate going, "Goodness me, these guys know too much about Tolkien." But but it, it kind of it, it's interesting. It's worth fighting for some of those things because this 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 scholar was actually trying to um, almost whitewash this idea out of Tolkien and say um, um, that you 
you know, the, the whole idea that he wanted to create a mythology for England is, you know, contestable and questionable, even though that we have like letters where he literally says it, just to quote one, but he's questioning the kind of veracity of, of, of the letters in many ways. He's saying, I was from, this is what Tolkien says in 1951, I was from early days grieved by the poverty of my own beloved country. It had no stories of its own, bound up with tongue and soil, not of the quality that I sought and found as an ingredient in legends of other lands. So Tolkien was obviously mm. a massive fan of myth. Um, and, and, he, and, you know, as an Anglo-Saxon professor, he, he was, you know, immersed in these tales, whether whether they'd be the likes of Beowulf or others or the Arthurian romances. And, and they had, a, the Arthurian romances had a kind of... Well, they were French, French though. French, French, we, yeah, we, we Anglicised them ourselves already. Yes. But he's wanting to um, create one that he really felt like got what Englishness was. And it's so interesting that, that now, you think of what we were saying earlier with the Amazon Prime thing, that is now not okay like it's not okay to do that in our current culture because we're kind of we're supposed to be really guilty and embarrassed by everything and as soon as you you try to sort of um show any kind of patriotism in any way so those who aren't english of course listening to it, it's not it doesn't mean that this doesn't actually bless others by knowing by going deep into one culture it doesn't mean you're becoming nationalistic to the extent where you think all the other cultures don't matter because he tolkien's really saying i love all these other mythologies i just love one for our own land as mm. well that's bound up in our own as you say, blood and soil, which some get worried about, and they kind of think, "Oh, does that is that kind of similar to, let's say, what like the Nazis were trying to do?" Clearly not. I mean, Tolkien literally expressly kind of there's a good kind of takedown of uh, Tolkien where, where where some someone they try to write to him, don't they? I think to, to offer during the Nazi um, period to to have a translation. I think I think which one, what it was, <laughs> and he refused it. Yeah, because they wanted to take out some of these elements. But obviously, so this this sense of like. Getting hold of a mythology of a nation, it can be dangerous because it can give people this sense of their nation as sort of wanting to triumph over all, like the ring, the one ring to rule them all. But Tolkien was such a great, had a, such a great way of just being unabashed about the fact that he wanted to create this for his own people by appreciating many other cultures and other people. And one of the ways he does that um, is his sort of immersion in like Norse mythology itself, of course, the Scandinavian stuff. And I just thought it'd be fun... Just to read this to you, and I know I've read a few things, but you know we're, we're readers, aren't we? We uh, are. This is a, this is a, this is a this is a literary. It's, it's a reedy show. So I, obviously, uh, one day we are going to do an episode on ha- on the Vikings. It'll be fun. But I was lecturing on the Vikings earlier this term, and um, I, I was reading this to to the students from the Poetic Edda, kind of famous poetic kind of um, but which Tolkien obviously knew inside and out. Let me just read this to you, right? And you can see that where Tolkien got some of his ideas. Try and count. You can do a count. Okay, this is a banister test here, live on Pod of the Gaps. Oh no, I'm going to fail epically because I don't, I don't, I don't count. recognize from this. This is just one one part from the Seeress's prophecy in the Poetic Edda from um, kind of Norse mythology. Um, there, Motsugnir became most famous of all dwarves, and Durin next. Many manlike figures and uh, figures the dwarves made out of the earth, as Durin recounted. New moon and dark of moon, north and south, east and west, master thief Dvalin, Biver, Bava, Bomba and Nori, <laughs> An and Anar, great grandfather and mead wolf, Licker and staff elf, wind elf and Thrain, Known and Thorin, Thror, colour and wise, corpse and new advice. Now I have rightly, uh, Regin and council clever, reckoned up the dwarves, Philly and Killy, foundling and Nali, Haft and Vili, Hanna and Svir, Hra, Fra and Hornborer, Freg and Seapool, Loamfield, Ar- Iri Oakenshield, so and it carries on in that way, and you think, gosh, so how many did you count there? I lost track, but of going, you know, I was. Um, but but like, if, 
it's incredible. And, and Gandalf comes up in Norse mythology. Like loads of the terms and names are actually not yes. original to Tolkien, but he finds ways of repurposing them, and he's learning from other other legends which are not native to British. My, soil. my other favourite one as well, um, very very close to home, because the um, the little wooden hut that is, serves as my my garden my garden office. I wanted to give it a Tolkien name. I was going to call it Rivendell, but one of my daughter, my daughter helpfully pointed out Rivendell is the home of the elves. They are tall and blonde, and she said, "Dad, you're short and grey." So we went for a hobbity name. We called it Bag End, and Bag End. Tolkien had a bit of an issue with the French, I think. Not not in a negative way, not in any kind of racial way, but in a sense that he. My point about the Arthurian mm. legends. Yeah, he got upset that actually. You know, a lot of our national epic and national myth mm. was squished when the Norman invasions mm. happened. So everyone thinks of Arthur as being, you know, the classic British myth. It's not. Arthur is a is a medieval romance. It's 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 a French mm. story. It's a French yeah. uh, uh, mythic cycle that we've just anglicised slightly. Mm. And um and Tolkien had you know liked to poke fun at people who you know thought that because something had a French name to it, it was therefore ancient and sophisticated. So Bag End, you know, Bilbo's house in. <laughs> in uh, in in Middle Earth, of course, um, Tolkien observed that many British people who live in roads that don't go anywhere, those roads were called cul-de-sacs. Because cul-de-sac sounds much sounds nice, sounds sophisticated, mm. sounds French. But of course, mm. cul-de-sac is simply French for the bottom of the bag or the bag end. <laughs> yeah. And so he's playing oh, with the idea. The Bagginses of Hobbiton obviously yeah, yeah. were, you know, slightly on the social up and up. Yeah, yeah. That's very good. Which I, yeah. I find, and I think I think I owe that one to Tom Shippey. Actually, that's not. Original. I think that's, that's very that's very interesting. That's not, uh, that's not original. But no, I mean the yeah. national epic thing. The other thing as well, by the way, very quickly on that, mm. you're dead right that I think that's so important. We've talked in this ep- we've talked in previous episodes about the difference between patriotism and nationalism. Mm-hmm. You know, patriotism is when you nationalism is as bad in every conceivable way look at the snp in scotland um <laughs> patriotism on the other hand simply says i love my country and i love my culture and look i want you to enjoy it too i want to share it with the mm. with the world and one of my concerns i think and again we, we said at the start we haven't watched this um but one of the things that a lot of the more critical reviews of rings of power brought out was the sense the make the filmmakers felt they needed to sort of diversify everything mm. racially mm. so let's have yeah, yeah. you know elves of every different color and you know, multiracial hobbits and so on and so yeah. forth. Yeah. And the problem with that is first to say that the fact that it misses what Tolkien was trying to do, you know, you wouldn't try and retell the, the, the you know, the, the, scamp, the Norse epics and, and suddenly give you, you know, yourselves Indian Vikings, nor would you try and retell the Indian classic myths or the African mm. or African myth and things and, mm. and insert lots of random white yeah. people. Exactly. Secondly, it misses, I think a couple the other thing it misses Tolkien's book is already quite in one sense it's a multiracial absolutely book. the yeah. beauty of tolkien yeah. is that the fellowship of the ring the heart of that first book is diverse you have men you have dwarves yeah. you have elves dwarves yeah. and elves traditionally hate each other but mm. gimli and legolas form this incredible friendship through the story of the book you mm. have you have gandalf you know the mm. wizard and actually you have these uh, different races and different mm. groups come mm. together to save the world they love but you know the Gondorians don't feel the need to suddenly become hobbits. The hobbits no. don't feel the need to suddenly you exactly know wear right. stilts and put blonde wigs on. Yeah. Um, to go, everybody mm. is confident in their mm. traditions. Yeah. You know the elves yeah. love being elvish. The dwarves love being dwarvish. Mm. You know mm. G- Legolas and Gimli don't give up what it means exactly. to be an elf or dwarf, yeah. but they become yeah. friends mm. across those cultural divides. Mm. And yeah. I think that's the mistake that's missed. 
today mm. rather than re- realizing we can be different. It's yeah. it's okay to have a, a British mm. national myth. It's okay mm. to have a you know the cut the Kalevala in in in, in Finland mm. or the mm. you know the Norse stuff or the Germanic mm. stuff or the African stuff. The Indians okay mm. have all of those things and to love them mm. as long as we then make sure we form friendships you know, across those divides Absolutely. and then share our traditions with each other. Mm. I don't want everything to be the same. No. I don't want to read Norse mythology and it sound like it's from, you know, Asia. I don't want to dig mm. into, you know, pre-Islamic Arabic poetry mm. and find out, oh, it's exactly the same as, mm. you know, I could have got in Germany. And, um, and, and exactly right. I think the thing is, like, I'll even go further to say, when you say that it would, it helps you, um, you know, appreciate, we should appreciate each other's, Actually, appreciating your own culture will help you appreciate others' cultures. This is something that G.K. Chesterton um, saw so easy, so well, and we mentioned that in the patriotism nationalism uh, episode. But like, if if you don't love a culture properly, how, how like how yes. can you properly appreciate someone else's culture and understand what it is to come from a culture and be proud of that? Be proud of where you come from. So, of course, it can go wrong. We've seen it go wrong. But we've also seen it go right in loads of other. Uh, respects in, in so much of the art and mythology that's been passed on um, and influenced those around them. So this is exactly as you say, making the point of you know, bringing it but into today's uh, discussions on race. Goodness me, we are it, it's, it's frightening the kind of idiocy that we see around the multiculturalism debate. Of course, multiculturalism um, can it can mean different things to different people. If if we mean by multiculturalism. Um, we want to appreciate other cultures, then yes, but that's often not what we mean by multiculturalism in the socio-political sphere. What we mean is, can we have a melting pot where ba- usually <laughs> um, can we have Anglo-Saxon, can we have British or let's say Western culture? Um, can you just not be proud of your own culture, please, but let everyone else be proud of theirs and set up shop and, and just basically have ghettos of their own culture within your culture and allow space for that. But you're not allowed to yeah. kind of be proud I think of it gets own. worse though. Crazy. I think it's it worse that then we fail to understand why other people get animated about their their culture. So when suddenly yeah, yeah. the Muslim community erupt yeah. about something, we, we we don't understand it. We're like, what? Well, hang on, what's going on here? Mm. Because we've forgotten what it means to love our culture. So then, actually, when you see other people loving theirs, you you struggle. And it reminds me of that, you know, that, that you know often quoted, uh, you know, sort of Bible verse about uh, you know love your neighbor as your as yourself. Mm. I mean, there's a sense to which if you hate yourself and you hate your mm. culture, mm. you can't love mm. other cultures. So it, mm. it surely begins with, you know, just as it begins in yourself being, you know, being not, not being proud, but being, being mm. going great. You know, God made me and that means I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm. And therefore I can appreciate and love others mm. because they're fearfully and wonderfully made. But if you sit Absolutely. there thinking, well, I'm worthless and a complete yeah. wreck and a waste of space, yeah. I'm going to find it very hard to love others. Mm. And if you're sitting there, as you say, beating up on your own culture, how much you may pay lip service to others, mm. you're really going to sit there and think mm. culture doesn't mm. matter. And that, I think, is I think we're seeing, actually, on the world stage, this is partly why I think globalism, you know, mm. is slowly collapsing because it tried mm. to just do this homogeny mm. everywhere. You know, you're mm. all going to drink Pepsi. Mm. You're all going to watch the same movies. You're all going to listen to the same music because yeah. that's, yeah. for corporations, it's a dream. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I think... In recent years, we've seen national identities re- reassert mm. themselves, and that's sometimes mm. been a bit messy. But I think mm. underneath it, long term, I'm I'm with Tolkien. I think actually mm. there is light at the end mm. of of, mm. of the tunnel because mm. because you know there is a god behind this world, mm. uh, and the end of the story is is eucatastrophe. You know, the story mm. of the gospel is that actually mm. joy and, and and hope and wonder and beauty do come out of darkness. Not just because of some mad liberal myth of progress, but yeah. because that's the God who's 
behind it all. Mm, well, amen. And what a good, uh, good, uh, good. Uh, well, you catastrophic, you catastrophic moment. It wasn't really you catastrophic moment. It wasn't quite um, you, you, but it was a, a good crescendo moment to, on which to to kind of close off there because it is so important. As we've been talking, we're not just talking about oh, let's just pick our favorite writer and just riff on them because we happen to like them. Actually, we're trying to say that there's in all of this. Um, it's not coincidental that Tolkien's Christianity shines through in the virtue and the imagination and the way that he tries to articulate the love of other even. Um, and there's so much to teach the way the modern world is going crazy um, through some of these older ways of thinking, which is precisely what Tolkien thought he was doing in his own day, going back in order to look forward um, and with the gospel absolutely right front and center. So it's so helpful that you uh, raised that there, Andy. So um, yeah, that's the end of this episode. I have been Aaron Edwards. This has been Andy Bannister. That was Tolkien. This is Talk Part of the Gaps, and we will see you next time. Farewell. Bye for now.